what are some of the qualities that, in your character that you believe are are why you're successful? And try not to be humble. <laughs> no, I, I honestly I don't I don't attribute like how things have come together fully on luck. It's more like you put in the work. Like like I most people know that I'll outwork. Before 2010, believe it or not, it was actually you had to go to an internet cafe in a yeah, lot of right. places in Europe. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm looking for an internet cafe to make catch up on my email, right? Like yeah. I'm, I'm the guy who's using satellite internet on the cruise 15 years ago to try to get caught up. Like, I just don't like being behind. I like to be on top of my stuff. Our first position, like, especially Jonathan and mine is like, we'll outwork anybody. Like yeah. I'm ready to work every day. I've taken conference calls in, in the subway in Tokyo at like 8 AM. I've taken, you know, I've, I've closed contracts in Amsterdam at two in the morning, right? Like I'm ready to work. I'm yeah, yeah. always ready to work. That's and cool. I found that the more work you put in, the more you're ready to take on any challenge. Yeah. That's when luck kind of falls your way, right? Yeah. Like exactly. you kind of bend fate to yourself by setting the circumstances to make it happen. Welcome to the Mastering Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Sarbit. Join me as we delve into candid conversations with industry experts to uncover their strategies and insights for achieving success in property management. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, let's elevate your property management skills together. Hey everybody, this is Jared Sarbit with Mastering Property Management. Today I have Navaz Damji with me uh, from Equium Group, uh, the founder and, and CEO, I believe is the title, uh, partner perhaps. Uh, super excited to have them. Uh, they were founded in 2011 and have grown to a really, really beautiful business. Um, but but let's not hear from me, let's hear from you. So Navaz, first, if you can just kind of tell me about yourself, some, you know, how you got to where you are, some major milestones along the way, how you got into property management, um, and, and just kind of talk a little bit about the success of Equium Group. Yeah, I know. Like a lot of people, who, it, when I got into the commercial real estate industry, it was 05. And a lot of people at the time would have told you that they fell into the business because there was no like, real educational direct path into commercial real estate. And probably the same story would be for condo management and residential management. I started commercial right out of school. I was um, hired at a university by, you know, Oxford Properties to, um, they wanted to start bringing in people with, you know, finance, accounting, economics backgrounds, uh, because a lot of people who moved up in commercial industry, uh, the commercial real estate industry were, you know, people from the building operations side. So they're licensed by ABSA. They, they can work on the equipment, but they seem to, when, you know, get to more and more senior levels, they, they seemed to be missing that financial side of the acumen that they needed. So they started trying to hire new grads and train them in commercial. And that's why I was hired along with I think Oxford had this graduate intake program. They hired probably a handful of people and then abandoned the program like five, seven years later, but worked out good for me. I feel like, um, you know, I didn't know anything about real estate. I literally did not even have my own place. I didn't have, I've never had a mortgage, didn't have a mortgage. I had no idea about anything to do with real estate. And the job opportunity was interesting. Like it was weird because uh, we moved here from Toronto in 92 when I was in high school from, uh, yeah. And my parents uh, were buying a business and our landlord was Oxford, right? And so it was kind of like, it was kind of like weird. I was sitting there in the head office of the, like our old landlord in the building that we used to rent from. And at this interview, and I'm like, it seems so like serendipity, right? And I was like, this seems like a really interesting opportunity, but they taught us everything about commercial. Like I had a few uh, graduate intake people after me that I had on my team 
And, you know, same with them. You know, they were new grad at a university business degree from wherever. And we kind of just taught them the commercial real estate industry. And it was really good because I got eight years there. I got really good opportunities. I got to manage like, you know, their pristine assets that Oxford owns, like, you know, like the, you know, Bull Valley Square and uh, for instance, Young Cower and Shell Center and all that stuff. And so those opportunities for somebody in their like mid to late twenties, like they're yeah. kind of unheard of. Right. So it, it was a good start to my career for sure. And then from there, I kind of started buying my own rentals as like, you know, trying to, you know, trying to develop a, eventually a retirement nest egg really is what you're thinking about. And so those started, I started to buy more and more rentals. And eventually, you know, I had uh, enough of a portfolio that I was like, maybe I should just manage my own rentals. (laughs) And so, and, you know, we kind of, I went from managing commercial real estate to managing my own rentals, but on my way, kind of leaving that commercial real estate industry, you know, one of my commercial clients at the time I had left Oxford, I was at another commercial real estate company. And one of my clients was like, you know, if you're leaving, you should bid on our asset. I did. We got that, which was a downtown office building. And then from there, we just kind of kept bidding on buildings and winning them. So, you know, it went from, yeah, like 50 units of residential that I owned and then 50 I managed on behalf of people I knew. And then into, we have like 14,000 doors and, um, uh, one and a half million square feet of commercial today but it, that's all it really was right and it again it was there was there's always there's always I, I like people always say like people really agree that there's luck involved but there's luck involved for sure like you'll put in the work you you know you try as hard as you can but there's got there's got to be some luck that saves you sometimes right there's yeah, yeah, yeah. always situations where there's no way this would have happened without some luck yeah, that's that's amazing. What, what an incredible story, right? Like from right, literally built it from the ground up, um, coming into the industry un, unexpectedly. Um, you know, like you didn't go to school for it specifically, but I'm sure a lot of your education was, plays a huge role in your success. I'm sure now, from a finance perspective, I would assume. Um, yeah, I think that um, it gives us like uh, my partner's the same. I hired him to the graduate intake program. Okay. <laughs> the two of us are still together awesome. many years yeah. later. Um, but we like our, the financial acumen that we, we were brought into the industry with has served us super well. Like the funny thing is like, you know, my HR classes that I didn't really pay attention to probably pretty helpful now that we're like a team of people. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's the business courses I took for sure. They, they laid a good foundation. And then a lot of the learnings we had at Oxford nowadays, like, the kids nowadays, I, I like to bug them because like there's an actual path to real estate through the real estate school at Haskane. Right. And so there's more people coming into the industry that have come up that path, which is cool. It's awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. you yeah. know, like real estate as an asset class, whether it's condo or commercial or residential is yeah. a pretty sophisticated business, right? So having people with an operations background in the industry and having people with, you know, a business education background, that's how you can properly manage an asset is when you have both those kind of types of people involved. Very, very cool. And, and by the way, like I, I, there's no question that your HR program would have helped you. Cause I mean, you guys have been, I have it here, like, you know, best, best by Globe and Mail and business report on business in 2018 through 2023, or, you know, best place in Canada work. Is that, is that right? Is that, is that, yeah. Right? Yeah. Amazing. That's incredible. Uh, the thing is like when I first, when we first won that, um, 
you know, we they're listing off the companies. We're in Toronto for the award ceremony. And like we were getting, you know, they don't tell you what p- position you're in. So we were sitting at a table with a bunch of other companies and, you know, we're getting down to from 50 to 30th best to 10th best. And these people at the table are like, what do you guys do? And I'm like, well, it's not really a fair comparison. I'm in the office with these guys. It's like, I'm kind of trying to make it fun for myself, right? Like we go out together, we have, you know, go out for drinks with like, I can go out for drinks with my team. Not as much anymore because now we're 100. But at the time, we were like yeah. 15, 20, 25, right. whatever it was. And yeah. I was like, I can just go out for drinks on a Friday with everybody. Like, we can just go, you know, games night. We we can do stuff together. So it's not just, uh, like, obviously, we want to be a, 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 an employer of choice. But yeah. some of it was like, I want to have a good time too, right? And it's like, yeah. I want to have a good time with these people that I spend a lot of time with, right? That, so. that's, that's amazing. And it, this wasn't on my questions list, but um, like, like, is that like, how do you sustain that once you do get to a hundred? Like, you know, that's, that's a question that I always ask myself personally and my, within my business, you know, how, like, you know, can you sustain that, you know, best place to work in Canada, um, you know, as you continue to grow and what are your strategies to do that? Yeah, so we, you know, we went from 65 to 100 people this year. And so I couldn't tell you right now what a 100-man operation of that is. But what we've, we've implemented stuff like, you know, every month we do, uh, you know, a big group event. Um, and we try to do it during business hours so that people with childcare situations or whatever can still come. And it hits some of the, like, super critical operational staff that they can't always make it because of their, you know, their their jobs are you know, I have a building shut down with some vendors and like, you know, the, the building inspector from the city is coming. So you can't work with everyone, but we hope because we do it monthly, you know, they can make it work once in a while, at least more often than not. Um, the teams individually do some stuff on their own. The managers kind of have a little bit of room to be able to just, you know, take their team out for lunch, take their team out for drinks. Like that's kind of like, because we do it, they kind of know they can do it too. Yeah. So that's good. And then, you know, the other thing is we we hired a VP of real estate and his hire was really based not specifically on like, although he has 20 years of commercial real estate experience and we worked with him and he's a known quantity. It was his his ability to work with people like he's a very people focused manager. And that was one of the reasons that he was hired for that tap for that job is because we wanted more and more of that focus on people. Like the more we get into this business, the more we realize we are a people company, right? Like we have no property, plant or equipment, like not. So as a property manager, I deliver people. So we better get better at delivering people. Totally. That's amazing. Super, super inspiring. And, and not only are you, you know, one of the best places to work in Canada, but you're also one of the fastest growing in Canada too. And you, you know, you just said it's 65 to hundred people and, you know, and, and who, and who recognized that that was through McLean's magazine, um, one of the fastest growing companies in Canada. So you're, you're getting accolades everywhere. You're, you're making waves, which is, you know, just a, such a beautiful thing to watch. Um, and to be able to get both awards in conjunction with each other, that that's special. That's where the magic really happens. Um, and you have to question is, are you growing because of the culture? I, I would argue that's probably a big, big part of that. Would you, would you agree with that? I feel like we have it really good. Like in condo management, we have a really significant niche. Mm-hmm. And so the volume of work comes our way, but a lot of companies will tell you, like I meet with some of the other owners of condo management companies regularly, like it's good to share stories, good to meet up with whoever wants to, right? And so I try to reach out. I, I, there's a few that I meet with regularly. And the story is always the same, right? It's like, I, I could take on more business, but I can't get the right people. So it's almost right. like in tandem. It's like, okay, I have a really good niche. I know I can continue to grow that niche, but like 
the linchpin in the system is going to be people. So, wow. you know, so, it, it, you know, being able to attract good people and keep them here and keep them happy. That's part that's that is the business, yeah. right? Like, yeah, there's there's one hundred and thirty five thousand condos in Calgary. And, you know, it, if I do everything right, maybe I get 20 percent market share and like, you know, we'll hit that. I'm sure very soon, but at the end of the day, I have to staff that. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I've, right. And so it's, it's making sure the culture is there so that like people feel like they're heard. People have opportunities. That's Equium's main thing is like, look, we were five people seven years ago. Yeah. Right. So there's opportunity. Yeah. Right. And so we expect to, you know, double every 18 to 20 months and we're going to keep going as far as we can. Really, really cool. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm sure you've read the book, good to great by Jim Collins or heard of it if you haven't read it, but I imagine you're someone that has, um, I, um, you, you remind me a lot of how they, you know, they describe the, the CEO, um, you know, very humble, um, that doesn't give a lot of credit to himself, like, like attributed luck to, to a lot of it. That th those are the traits of the, I don't know if you've ever thought of that, but you typically have those. Um, like what are some of the, yeah, they, I mean, maybe, maybe those are some of the qualities, but what are some of the qualities that in your character that you believe are, are why you're successful and try not to be humble? <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I don't, I don't attribute like how things have come together fully on luck. It's more like you put in the work, like, like I, most people know that I'll outwork, right? Like even when I was at Oxford, like there was jokes about me, like, you know, trying to find internet in, in Italy before internet was so widely spread, like in early, like <laughs> before 2010, believe it or not, it was actually, you had to go to an internet cafe in a yeah, lot of right. places in Europe. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm looking for an internet cafe to make, catch up on my email, right? Like cool. I'm, I'm the guy who's using satellite internet on the cruise 15 years ago to try to get caught up. Like, I just don't like being behind. I like to be on top of my stuff. So like the first, our first position, like, especially Jonathan and mine is like, we'll outwork anybody. Like yeah. I'm ready to work every day. I've taken conference calls in, in the subway in Tokyo at like 8 a.m. I've taken, you know, I've, I've closed contracts in Amsterdam at two in the morning, right? Like I'm ready to work. I'm yeah, always yeah. ready to work. That's and cool. I found that the more work you put in, the more you're ready to take on any challenge, yeah. that's when luck kind of falls your way, right? Yeah. Like exactly. you kind of bend fate to yourself by setting the circumstances to make it happen. Yeah. Well said. Very well said. Do, do you, um, do you ever question if that, that, you know, insane, relentless work ethic, I, I call it insane because, you know, I have it too. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's sometimes a little insane, but you know, like, and, and, and there's sacrifice along the way when doing that, like stopping in the middle of your vacation to, to work. Right. And you know, the kids are like, what are you doing? And, but, but do you, is that, is it out of like, first, first, my first question is, is that out of like a true love? Like you just truly love what you do. <laughs> um and, and my I, second, in all honesty go ahead no let's get the same question yeah yeah and then and then my follow-up to that is um is that sustainable and how like do you see yourself doing that until the day you retire or sell the business or pass it on to your family or whatever uh, but once you start like like at what point you know do you do you feel like you you maybe need to slow down i feel like there's so many answers because I think about this all the time. I talk to people about this all the time because we go on vacation with other families and stuff and they're business owners too. And I'm like, I'm working more than that for sure. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's born for in some ways out of like a mix of like a fear of like, you know, my parents were not well off like when growing up. So it's like a fear, like we grew up in, 
you know, they were barely getting by. Like, uh, to be completely honest, they made it work for sure. We we never didn't have food or anything, but they were very close to the line so many times, like with the banks and everything else when they lost their business. Um, you, you know, it, it, I remember Oxford tried to take a first charge on uh, their personal guarantee, right? Like, and that's the company I ended up working for, which uh, is, again, yeah. very interesting kind of like totally. full circle situation, but yeah. that's fine. So, I have like my work is born partially out of fear, right? Like I don't want to be in that situation. I don't want to leave that situation. So the other side of the coin is that I have this massive opportunity, right? And there always was opportunity. Even before I kind of found this niche in condo or I got into commercial, we had, we were redeveloping homes and, you know, we were building equity there and there's opportunity, but it's like, I can only build that equity if I put in the time, if I put in the effort, if I find the right deal, if I find the right contractor, if I put together the money right. So the opportunity was there and it's like, so either you're going to put in the work and capture the opportunity or not put in the work and then something goes wrong and you're in their situation. Like, and again, no offense, my parents are first, like moved here from Africa with nothing and built a life that, you know, I built based off of, right? Like yeah. what I built was based on the work they put in. Amazing. But now that I have this opportunity, like being born here, educated here, um, business here, like a huge network in this in this city and this um, in this um, industry, and then I don't put in the work to take advantage of the advantages I was given, it's almost like am I? I feel like I'd be stupid, right? And so, so that it's like a fear of not wanting to be in poverty. It's a fear of giving up an opportunity that I was given that you know billions of people on this planet do not get. And yeah. so why am I going to squander it? What, what excuse do I have? Right. Like it's not like I don't have a good time. Like I just have it a certain way. We go to Mexico in a resort with my kids, you know, we have breakfast together. I'll go work for a few hours and then I'll join them at the pool. And so I give up two, three hours a day. And then, you know, my wife takes a little bit longer to get ready as, as the ladies usually do yeah. So yeah. during that time. I'm on my computer, trying to catch up in the afternoon and evening. Right. And, you know, I might do a little bit of work um, after the kids go to bed. And so it's, it's not like I'm putting in an eight hour day, but I'm definitely three, four hours a day on vacation working. Like, and I just want to, I, I don't want to lose the momentum. I don't want to lose the opportunity. I don't want to squander what I've been given versus, like I said, billions of people on this planet who would kill to be in my situation. Totally. That, that, that that's, that's really inspiring. Um, you know, like that, 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 um, the, f- the fear is, is like, you know, a healthy fear, I think, right? Like it's not, it's not a fear that will paralyze you. It's a fear that inspires you. And, you know, when, when that, that's, that's where the magic happens, you know, like, um, you know, my son the other day was saying, dad, like he's 10 years old. He's like, dad, what if I'm not successful? You know, what if I, what if I don't make it? I'm like, let that, let that feed you, let that fear feed you. Right. Cause that's, that's, what's going to drive you if you're, if you're comfortable and which I think a lot of people and, you know, that have been here multiple generations or whatever, they're, they're comfortable. Um, so that, I think that's why you see, you know, often the, the immigrant success story, right. Um, because they know the other side, they know what it looks like, you know, back there and they don't want that ever again for their children, yeah. for their family. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, Speaking of like, you know, the next generation and children, like, you know, we, we have the struggle built into us. And I talk about this with a lot of people I grew up with. It's like, we have the struggle built into us, right? Because we saw our parents struggle, like working days and nights and like trying to make it all work. And, you know, we have that in our grain, in our DNA, in our programming, right? But what do our kids have, right? Like our kids are on vacation a lot. They don't really have to worry about money, but 
yeah. you know, I almost want it, to, it, it'll be interesting to see, like, are, are they going to have the same internal motivations that we do? Uh, and maybe they shouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. I, I say this in my CEO forum group. It's like, every decision I've made in my life has been based on money. Every single one, what I took in school, what job I took, how I invested, you know, how I spent my time. Every single decision was based on money. And yeah. like, if that's taken out of the equation, what could, what's possible? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I have no idea. Maybe, maybe I wanted, maybe I would have been, uh, you know, some sort of care worker in an NGO somewhere in a foreign country. I don't know, but <laughs> it'd be nice to take that out of the equation and see what they do. Obviously we're going to push them. Like, my wife is my wife and I are both like very uh, demanding of them. Like there's no, there's no TV, uh, you know, Monday to Friday, there's no slacking off. They got work and uh, homework every night. Like we push, like we push them hard and awesome. we'll see, maybe it'll blow up in our faces and maybe it'll work out. We'll find out. <laughs> I don't think it will. I have a feeling if you can run a business the way you do, you'll, you'll be able to run a family just fine. Uh, that's my, my, my quick snapshot impression. Um, that's awesome. Um, great, great to get that insight. Uh, you know, that's pretty, pretty deep stuff. So that's, that's powerful. Um, so, so kind of more into the property management world. Um, so, you know, property managers, you know, you, you guys deal with, you know, whether it's tenants and owners, um, you, you know, you're dealing with vendors, um, you know, contractors, you know, all, all sorts of people. Um, how do you kind of balance that communication, um, you know, to ensure, you know, like fostering effective communication between, between all parties? Um, I, I imagine that's, that's can be pretty overwhelming because there's lots of different people happening at once. Uh, the board of course is a big one. Um, how do you manage that? Yeah, we've, you know, we've, found, we've had the same struggles most management companies have, I'm sure. Right. Like, you know, there's certain people that are good at managing boards and are good at managing people. And there's certain uh, employees that are good at managing projects, but not managing people. And so you have this situation where they can deliver, you know, results, but then they can't keep the people, uh, you know, happy, keep them satisfied, communicate with them properly. So we've actually expanded this solution is like, okay, every single board, um, every single client has a team of people that work with them. So they have an operations focused person, they have a people focused person, and then they have a senior person. So then it's like, if there's a personality conflict with this one manager, that's not going to derail the relationship. Because, and if our ops person who's really good at capital and project management is delivering good projects, but can't communicate well, there's other people on the team. So like every single board has two or three touch points at different levels of the organization that they meet with regularly and that's how we've uh, evolved to go Amazing. from, you know, the way it was to the way it is. Wow. that That's incredible. I would guess, you know, um, that's not common. Am I right to say that most people just have one property manager for the property and they, they kind of have to be a jack of all trades. Is that right? And, and yeah. that's, that's one of the failures. I tell people all the time. It's like, look, we, I tell boards all the time. I've been a property manager my whole career, like right out of university to today, yeah. I've been a property manager and I am not a technical person. Like yeah. at all. So yeah. like what, a, what I'm going to fake how this well, I'm going to explain what this vendor told me about how your piece of equipment works. Like that's not how it's done. Right. Like in commercial, you have specific operations people who specialize in how the equipment runs. They're licensed by the Boiler Safety Association. Those people are in the mix in commercial. And that's how we developed our condo model. And that's our niche. Right. Is that like yeah. we have the operations people in-house to support the managers. So the managers aren't supposed to be, oh, I know how your equipment works. I know how a lawsuit works. I know how your snow removal works, how your finances work. Like there's no, there's no person like that that yeah. knows everything. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Right. They know a little bit of everything. And the more experience they have, the better they are. Like 
masking the fact that they don't actually know that much about this, right. but they're speaking on it. Like, we don't like that. We we want to have the depth of confidence. That's really what we have. Like, we've worked in, you know, millions of square feet of commercial real estate and now, you know, 14 million square feet of condo. We want to have that depth of confidence when we come to the table. That's like our claim to fame over yeah. everybody else. Yeah, that that's brilliant. Is it is that a model that you you saw somewhere else and 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 wanted to implement, or did you did you just kind of come up with it through trial and error, or how did you think of that? Yeah, so realistic, we came into it like we were doing just commercial, and then my own portfolio portfolio when you know we got invited to bid on condo, and we we didn't know condo. Nobody here has ever worked in condo ever. So all we have is our commercial experience, and we're you know we kind of dissected how condos running year after year of doing it and we're like all the stuff that we do in commercial that has made commercial more sustainable more uh financially successful like vis-a-vis -a, -vis a condo is all best practice industry best practice and it's it's right. not existing in condo and mm -hmm. so like the the easiest solution i tell people is like okay you have a chiller from train that is on top of the office building and it's on top of your high-rise condo same same piece of equipment so same manufacturer same installer same maintenance company how come in commercial we practically can assume that almost every piece of equipment is going to outlast this life cycle but in condo we practically see every single piece of equipment fail earlier than life cycle says what's the difference the only yeah. difference is how they're maintained that is it it is simply having the operations people who understand the equipment ensure yeah. that the maintenance is done properly that is huh. it Amazing. So you, so you took a lot of your commercial philosophies and brought it into residential. So, so it, our whole senior management team is still commercial. Like they, we, we are going to continue to hire from you know the people we work with, the people we know from commercial to help us run this business. And then we're going to train people from the ground up in condo, but in our kind of way of doing it, because it's not like the industry. And I have to explain it for hours and hours on end with every board <laughs> that we take on because it's yeah. not what they have right now. And they're like, what is this? Yeah. But it's, this is how we do it in commercial. Like we are like, we have an absolute replication of what we've done in institution, institutional commercial real estate in condo. Brilliant. That's so cool. Some, sometimes there's, there's a huge advantage of not knowing the industry and going into it without, without the bad habits, without like just knowing this is what works over here. Let's bring it over there. Uh, and, and we see that, we see that everywhere. Like when you look at commercial, like in condo management, residential management, you don't generally have building operations in house, but in commercial you do. So it's like, okay, why does that best practice work? And now we have financial models to explain why it works because we've been doing it for so long. But at first you didn't know, right? They just, everyone just thought, oh, commercial has more money. So, you know, they invest this way. <laughs> and that's a very like uh, a narrow focused response because you don't know. And that's what everybody in commercial thinks. That's what everyone condo thinks that commercial just has more money. So they invest this way. But yeah. when you actually look at it and, reverse engineer it all it's that condo is spending a ton of money fixing stuff they probably don't need yeah. to because it wasn't maintained properly at the outset yeah amazing so you, ha you really have to educate them the, the the board and the condo you know on the investment i would it sounds like like the, it, it's maybe a little bit more upfront, but long term it's really going to pay off is that is that right yeah and when we look at um we've done now financial analysis for some of our earliest buildings like university city six years in they're still spending the same on repairs and maintenance they were six years ago they're spending less on insurance today than they were in 2017. those things they're spending 34 percent less on utilities than they were six years ago those things are unheard of like yeah. industry-wide you bring me any manager bring them to the table with the numbers 
there's not one who can say that. Not one. Really? Bring them to the table anywhere, anytime. <laughs> I love it. I love the confidence. That's that's amazing. Well done. Really cool. So actually, like this kind of leads me to my next question. Uh, you, you kind of already sort of answered it, but but I, I want to hear a little further. So so balancing, you know, cost effectiveness with 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 property maintenance is, you know, it's critical. You know, how do you and your team prioritize the upgrades and repairs to ensure long term value uh, for both owners and tenants? Yeah, like this is where the kind of financial acumen comes into play, right? Where with Jonathan and I, like, you know, we'll, we obviously cannot have boards spending more than their current budget, right? Like it's a not-for-profit. That's not how they kind of mentally operate the, the boards, right? So the way that we do it is we like, look, here are all the spends you guys have right now. Here's what we see in the portfolio for similar sized assets. Here's where we see that there's differentials that we can pull funds out of to reallocate to preventative maintenance. So it's not spending more money, it's reallocating the money you're spending to more strategic items. Once those items start to come into play, then you see a snowball effect, right? Like if you run the equipment better, utilities cost less. If you run the equipment better, there's less RM. And so all the stuff, if you run the equipment better, you can defer the replacement. So your reserve builds up further and has more time to invest. And so over time, those decisions start to compound, right? Like University City, we've shown a $2 million swing in the operations from what they were if we had pulled them forward to what we did. $2 million is a massive amount of money on a 400 unit building. No kidding. No kidding. Very, very cool. Um, what about what about technology? Um, you know, how, how do you leverage it? Um, you know, do you use certain softwares within the, within your business that maybe maybe front facing to the to the you know the tenants and the customers, you know, the owners, um, or maybe maybe behind the scenes? But but you know, does technology play a big role in Equium's uh, processes? I would love it to play a bigger role. Um, realistically, we have. You know, we have tenant facing, we have apps and we have a web portal and they can put in service requests and track those service requests through the app and the portal. So that's there. Um, we don't mandate it for every buildings because we have buildings full of seniors that don't want to use an app. And right. we have buildings full of seniors that do want to use an app. Believe yeah. it or not, I got both. Yeah. So I'm not stereotyping at all. I literally yeah. have both. Um, and so we don't mandate that app. Then we can obviously take phone calls and emails and everything else, the standard process. Um and then when we look at our project management and operations side, they're working in, you know, preventive maintenance software. They're working in, you know, MRI, fixed, Angus, uh, Monday for project management. So they're using all those different software tools to keep themselves organized. When we look at the accounting and residential side, we're using Yardi. Um, so it, it's not easy because um, it's almost like top down, which, of course, there's only so much capacity that we have. And so, you know, as we grow, we're obviously going to want somebody who could manage those kinds of onboardings. Like my partner and I literally onboarded um, Yardi. We literally onboarded Zendesk. It's a lot of like top down uh, software implementation, which is not ideal for us. Yeah. And so hopefully one day there'll be somebody who can, but we're not there yet. Yeah. So, yeah. So have you ever, you know, considered developing your own software that kind of has, brings them all together? Have you ever thought about that at all or? So there's a lot of packages like um, like um, Proper and stuff that have everything, a lot of this stuff built into them. Yeah. But we kind of like adopted these things over time in different parts of our business. So uh, a combined solution would be nice, but it's like we invested quite a bit to get here. So I, I, I'm nervous about changing it all again to, to an all-encompassing. Um, but eventually, like, you know, we evolved. Like Equium feels like a different place every six months um, because we – take on a lot more buildings. Like we, we take on about like 2000 doors every, you know, 
every six months we take on, you know, probably 20, 30 staff every six months. Like it's a different place. Uh, every time you turn around, like we just doubled our office space. Now we're running out of office space again. It's just like, <laughs> this is what happens around here. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's certainly a good, a good problem to have. That's for sure. Um, talking about evolving, um, how, how do you see the, um, you know, the industry evolving? Um, you know, like, do you see some tr like new trends that are coming? Um, do you see some changes? Do you, do you foresee anything, you know, that's, that's really going to be shaping the industry moving forward that potentially isn't here right now? Yeah. I'm, you know, a generative AI, I'm sure everybody says it, but I met with Microsoft, I want to see in 2018. And I told them, I'm like, listen, like, 80% of my requests are exactly the same thing and they're the same answer and they're the same question. I'm like, why can't like a computer answer these questions? And they were like, yeah, to build something like this, you can use our AI engine and we could build a front end and it'll be about 250 grand. And I'm like, at the time, I'm like, yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. And now, you know, we're a few years later and Chad GPT is pretty much there, right? Like Zendesk yeah. and Proper and these guys are like having chat GPT plug in and answer these queries automatically and so it's great news because i don't know how many i probably get hundreds of emails a week to our company asking for condo docs or a stop right. Post or right you know i need a fob or an elevator booking or an intercom all of those can be automated and they will be yeah. and in some cases they are and yeah. so it's like it's like i need an elevator booking here, here's a Calendly link. Book yourself an elevator. That Calendly link then will links to the elevator contractor or the booking contractor, and boom, we're done. Like oh. this doesn't need fifty people involved, right? Yeah. And so we're close. We're we're getting close, and you know we're implementing some of those automated solutions too. But yeah, that's what I see. I see that a lot of the day-to-day -day customer service interactions and condo management will be automated, and it will be more efficient. Um, and that'd be good because the managers need to focus on more strategic items like these yeah. buildings, strategic review. Totally. Totally. I was talking to another property manager the other day and, you know, she was saying that, you know, the industry is really recession proof, you know? And so the more that you can implement, you know, AI within the business, it's only going to get stronger and you're and people are always are going to need some sort of management. So it makes a lot of sense that you would want to be ahead of that game you know, always really on the, you know, the front of the, of the curve as far as implementing all of that. So that that's really cool. Really, really cool. Um, are you, are you like right now using chat GPT within, within your business? Our, or? our staff is, I have like, you know, yeah. if I need a job description for a new role that I just made up, yeah. like I'll go to chat GPT and ask it and then make totally. my revisions, right? Like totally. it spits out a reasonable answer in a split second yeah. to not use that tool and try to type this stuff out yourself is just a waste of your own time. No, one hundred percent. I'm on there every day. I, I, I love, I love it. I, I barely go on Google anymore. It's, uh, it's, it's such a powerful tool. That's for sure. Um, really cool. Um, um, what as a as a property manager, you know, uh, like a leader in the industry, certainly in in Calgary, um, what advice would you give to aspiring property managers looking to climb the ranks and you know achieve the level of success that you have? You know, I feel like. I feel like I've always wanted to put in the work. I wanted the opportunities. Like even when I was, you know, a, a corporate guy at Oxford and a pretty junior one, like I wanted the work. I wanted to work more than anybody else. I wanted to learn more. I, I wanted, to, I took on challenges. Like I took on files that nobody wanted, right? I remember there was like a lease from 1968 that was typed on a typewriter and it was administered on behalf of one of the banks. And their administrator on the other side had managed this typewritten lease for 30 years. 
And on our side, nobody understood any of it. It was okay. talking about like base years and CPI from 1968 and base years and property tax from 1969. And like we went, and, I went and got all that info. I went to the city. I got the 1968 CPI and the 1968 property taxes yeah. as my base year and calculated. And I fixed this file that was out there for years, like years and years and years. It was a mess. And like literally at the end of the day, the, the prior team that managed it would just take whatever you know, the bank's rep would tell them, he'd be like, this is what it says. This is what it's supposed to be. And they yeah. just take it as gospel because they couldn't interpret it. So I, I, I took the challenges on, right? Like yeah. any challenge. And then it eventually started to become funny because like, senior, like our manager would be like, we have this printer that no one will take back. It was from this prior business that like deal with it. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Boom. Somebody comes and picks it up. Like I found the least yeah. contact and like, I'll take on anything because like the opportunity is there. I want to move up. I want to take more chances. I want to grow because um, I, you know what I, I want more, like whatever um, we've done, I'll always want more because you know, one day I'm going to be hit by a car. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to pass. It might be 20 years, might be 50 years, whatever it is. One day the game will be over. And then yeah. I'll be like, did I take every opportunity I was given close? I have to make up for quite a few years as, messing around when I was in my, you know, teens and early 20s. But still, at, at this point, I take the swings. Like, I take I take the swings as often as I can. Amazing. I love it. I love it. I, I think what I'm hearing is, like, don't cut corners. Do it right, you know, and 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 and, and don't be afraid to take anything on. Like, don't, don't be too too arrogant or to think that you know you, you're not above don't think you're above anything is that is that is that what you're saying yeah like put in the work right like i remember we were we were <laughs> we were at uh, a bar next to one of our buildings at 7 p.m one night when we were a lot smaller we probably only had a handful of buildings but like the board member called in the emergency line that somebody spilled like a, a massive drink in the elevator and like i was with the building manager and we walked from the bar over to the thing and i'm like where's the mop? And I like mopped the elevator and the guy's right. looking at me like I grew another head and I'm like, dude, I've been a cleaner before. Like yeah. I had that job in university, right? Like yeah, 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 yeah. there's no job that you shouldn't be able to do. Uh, other than like the accounting team and our office team, I've done every job that we have, right? Yeah. Like, I've sat at front desk. I've, yeah. you know, been a janitor. I've been a property manager. I've been a customer service person. Like I've done it all. So it's like, I, I, I I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done. I'm not yeah. asking you to do anything that I haven't done like yeah. as a job. Right. Yeah. Like it's like, and I'm willing to do the work like yeah. because I want the opportunities. Like yeah. and the, this new, like post COVID people who don't want to, you know, take on everything. I want it all. It's like, sure. Yeah. Leave it with me. No totally. problem. I love it. So, no problem. So, so, so for those, you know, those aspiring, you know, property managers that, that want to reach that success, it's like, get, just get it done. Like go out there and roll up your sleeves. Not, don't be afraid and, and, and work your butt off. Right. Like that, that was, I feel of, like that's the, it's the only controllable uh, factor, right? Like there's luck and there's state and there's where you were born and there's like how smart you are, or how done or like how educated, those are all like, they're all outside your control. You can control how hard you work. Holy. Like that is one in your pocket, ready to go anytime. Show up, willing and able. I love it. And would you say, um, we, we, do you do you find that your partner is kind of the same mindset? Like, are you both on the same page? Like, maybe maybe I shouldn't ask that question. And uh, I don't want you to throw it <laughs> actually. Throw it the bus, but actually, most people are afraid of him because he, like, he literally will work. Like sometimes, even I'm like. 
holy, holy, how much can you work? I am a workaholic. And it's like, like I said, I, I work out of the fear. I work out of the opportunity. I work out of all those things. I don't know where he gets his work ethic from, but he's a, he's a similar guy. Like that's, we're that's in the really, office seven days a week, yeah. every day. At, like, you know, we work together on every strategic project and like we are working like, and we want the chat. Like I want to work evenings and weekends because like, you know, I'll put the kids in bed and go back to work because it's like, this is my opportunity when, you know, no clients bother me. Operational work's not happening. Here's yeah. where I can get some strategic work done and really. take on the next thing. Yeah. And the reason I asked that is because, you know, it, with myself personally, you know, my partner and I, we're very different. We have very different skill sets. We, we you know, outside of work, we, we're, we're best buddies, but I mean, outside of work, we don't hang out. We don't do that much together because we're completely different. But what we have in common is that we're both not afraid to work as hard as possible for the, at the, for the end, for the, for the customer, you know, for the client. And we'll do whatever it takes. And we, we made that commitment early on. Like, hey, like we'll do whatever it takes and we'll work as long, as many hours as possible day and night and and i think like when you have that partnership that that that, that accountability a lot, a lot of magic can happen there because you feel accountable you're like he's working hard i'm working hard we go and just and it's just this kind of perpetual um you know uh, energy I, that i, I like to because he can't work later than me because he doesn't have kids and so mm-hmm. i have to take this like kind of dinner after school break right. uh and then but i you i, I could beat him in the office most days so that's that's my <laughs> offset like oh. i'm in the office earlier than him on weekends and weekdays right. and he yeah. usually works later and then I'll, I'll put it in my, into my after, after bedtime shift. Awesome. So yeah, we, we do, we, we do. It, it's true. Like seeing him work reminds me of like how I want to work and how I've always wanted. Right. So, it, it, and we do get along really well and, but we are very different, but in some ways the same, it's like, yeah. we have a weird dynamic for sure. Very, very cool. Um, can you share a particularly challenging property management situation you faced, um, you know, over the years and, and how you effectively resolved it? Yeah. You know, the funny thing about this is like, we've taken on every challenging situation, like, because this has been our thing, right? Like, you know, the guardian podium was closed for five years because it was a $500,000 repair. We figured out how to fix it for 10 grand. You know, we had, um, you know, we had Rosemont where they had a $5 million envelope failure. And like, you know, the engineers and the board had come up with this solution that it was going to cost $6 million to fix this. You know, we're fixing it for less than half that and we're phasing it so that people could actually have kind of afford to pay for it. Like it's not, it's not pretty, but it's, it's a solution that works. Right. And like, we have so many like this, we had, you know, a window project at one building where it was all seniors and the prime manager told them they need to special assess 40 grand this year, 40 grand next year. And I was like, no, no chance. Like we were like, we worked with the engineers. We actually did uh, a survey of every single window so that we could decide on how to phase the windows over five years. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing like different phases and different faces. And then like over that time period, like it was all paid for through regular contributions. So like we're kind of tapped to do hard things right like that 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 now it's like it's like if you have a really complicated situation you should just call equium because they're the ones who are dumb enough to bang their heads against the wall until they figure it out (laughs) that's awesome you know we're taking on another building that's had you know a 400 unit building downtown that's had leak issues almost since inception and like it's got a really interesting heating system um in the building that was cold at the time and is not now and it's caused them nothing but grief, hundreds of thousands of dollars of leaks every year. And like, we've literally been tapped to figure this out. 
And so this is kind of our thing now. We yeah. we deal with the ridiculous problems that nobody seems to want to deal with. Like our <laughs> team, like our team actually did a 15 acre roof. Like we have a building that's 15 acres of industrial. And yeah. so like our team like phased this roof over eight years. It's a 47 acre, 47 acre parcel. It's actually a 17 acre building. And we did this roof over eight years. We're halfway through. And it's like phasing this roof. And we like, you know, we found the areas that were leaking the worst and worked with those tenants. And like, so, you know, it, it, this is the this is the scale that equity was rolling on right now. Like, so, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> these are the kinds of problems we get. Man, that that wasn't amazing. Like, I honestly expected one example, but I mean, you you mm-hmm. face like you you are a problem solver every day. This uh, is this is our 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 niche, our claim to fame, like having this ops team. Um, work with the financial acumen that, you know, Jonathan and I bring to yeah. solve these problems without being like, okay, everybody open up your wallets. It's going to be $5 million special assessment. Like that is the worst case scenario. Like, can we phase it? Can we find another solution? Can we reorganize? Can we, you know, can we rescope? Like we rescoped a roof at, you know, there's a high rise building um, just on 12th. They had a $300,000 roof project. The reserve fund study had a $300,000 roof. The original, engineer the engineer that originally bid it came up with a two hundred eighty thousand dollar roof so everyone's like yeah that makes sense and i'm like does it so we sat down ops and engineering found a different tender different scope worked with the engineer to create a whole different build for this roof came in at 180. so we don't take anything at face value because that's kind of how it works in commercial. Like you just don't do that, right? Like yeah. you talk to the people who worked on a project like this and a building like this and a roof system like this and be like, is there a different way? Is there a way to phase it? Is there a way to do it cheaper? Is there a way to do it more effectively, more efficiently? And if we get that win, that win is what I take forward to the next building. Yeah. I literally take the board like, okay, here's our portfolio of wins. Totally. This is what we do here. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. how, yeah. Yeah, you're you're working towards getting those. I mean, I always say, you know, we work towards getting those five star Google reviews. You know, and it's like, like you're 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 kind of at a grander scale than that. You're looking to save millions of dollars, but but like you know, you you're not in it for the short term. You know, you're in it for the long term, and to really give benefit to the tenants and the properties, so that you can go to the next one and the next one, and everyone's talking about you in a in a positive light, and you can give those case studies, and that's uh. That's a that's a really um, strong long term strategy. That's for sure, and and I'm sure one of the reasons that you're growing so fast. Well, one of the first boards we ever took on, I told him like I want to manage this building longer than you own here. And now I'm seven years in, and I've only had a few of them sell, so we're still <laughs> going on that one. But I tell every board, it's like I don't want to have this one year mandate or two years or three years, and then you go find some other manager. Like we want to develop a system. Like we've redesigned how these buildings run. Like. You know, when you look at University City, when you look at Guardian, when you look at Drake, when you look at how we've done it, like the entirety of how the building management platform is put together, like how it's staffed, who manages what, concierge, everything. Like we redesign it uh, so that, you know, okay, we'll less reliant on vendors, more reliant on, you know, apps licensed building operators, rejig the financials to make that work, retender some of these contracts to make it all work, find that excess savings put it into RM, that RM is done by our staff. They got a completely different management platform. And so we're tied together, us and the board. Like yeah. we're hopefully around a long time. And but it doesn't always work. Like, you know, there's always, you know, there was this one building I was just telling uh one of the lead insurers that about there was a building that had like a million dollars of claims the year before we took over, like five big leaks and a million dollars of claims. We took over. And we literally managed this building for for three years. 
we fixed every single problem, like problems with their pool, problems with their leaks. We had no more insurance claims. We fixed every single thing. Our ops team was in there all the time. It was the most ops heavy building you would imagine for 200 units. And then after everything was fixed and they had a million dollars in their operating account, remember before we took over, they had a million dollars of claims. They had a massive special assessment to pay for that. Their insurance shot up to a quarter million dollar deductible, a quarter million dollar premium. They're literally broke. We fix everything in the building and they have a surplus of a million dollars in their bank account. They're asking us for a discount on our fee. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, course. it's not going to happen. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. That's, that's, uh, that's unfortunate, but you know, they, they got to fight. It's for the business. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's the business. That's, right. that's it. Yeah. Um, awesome. So assuming, um, you know, as you, as you know, I have a janitorial company. Uh, and so I have to ask the question. So, you know, assuming janitorial is, you know, one of your largest ongoing costs, you know, not obviously the reserve funds and the big, you know, big um, uh, projects, but, you know, as an ongoing cost, you know, how do you look for janitorial companies to work with, you know, what qualities in the company are you looking for when, when you guys are looking for janitorial companies? Yeah, it, it, to be honest, like um, when we were in commercial, we were looking for kind of the the operational infrastructure to manage our asset, right? Like when we were looking at like a, when we were tendering the cleaning for Devon Tower or, or, or Bull Valley or any of that, we're looking for the scope and scale of similar assets that they can manage and they have the systems and processes in place that, to do that, right? But now that we're in, in condo and we're not using these massive multinational cleaning companies, right. um, it seems like we're looking for the guys. And, and like, again, one of the reasons I came on this podcast is because you're one of those people that understands the people side of the business, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you can manage the people well and they're treated well and you have a good business and system for managing the people, you'll be able to clean the building, no problem, right? And it's a people business. And yeah. so if you have that if you have that mindset, you have that thought process, obviously you have a growth mindset, you're building your business and everything else. Um, it is that main thing. It's understanding that the people matter and, you know, they're not just like bots you kind of plug in. A lot of these big commercial cleaners, they're almost like, we're just going to plug somebody in here. And it's like, these are your people, right? And like, they make all, they are your whole business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I love that. And that's, that's absolutely true. You know, when we started our business, that's what we were warned of was the hardest part of our business is to find and keep good people. So right from the onset, that was our philosophy is like, this is what our whole business is, you know, based on is, you know, creating the best job they've ever had. And yeah, go, go like, you know, we're not, we're still not, you know, one of the Canada's best places to work yet, but, um, but certainly, you know, I, I, you're right that that's, that's critically important um, and, and to align ourselves with companies like yourself that, that also have that perspective. That's where the, the real magic happens. So very cool. Thanks for that. Um for a little bit more of a fun question, if you can manage any famous property in the world, uh, what what property would that be? You know, it's funny. Like people, you know, I I, I knew you were going to ask this because we mentioned we talked about, but like, you know, I'm sure people would mention like Rockefeller Center or the Shard or some some crazy building. But you know, I like to tell the story. Like I moved to Calgary in in 1992, and at the time, you know, Devon Tower was Cantera. This blue marble building was like, you know, sticking out from the rest of downtown because it hadn't been built up to Eau Claire. So it was this little tower. Well, not little, but it was this high rise tower that was kind of offset of the rest of downtown. And it was like this small blue pearl granite Italian. And I, I remember being a kid and looking at this cool building and then I got to manage it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so, I remember being in like junior high, high school, looking at this cool building in Eau Claire and like, that's so neat. And like, 
happenstance. I was a property manager for that building not very long, yeah. <laughs> 20 yeah. years later. Yeah. And so I got to manage probably the coolest assets. And we do manage some of the coolest assets in Calgary. And so I don't really need to look. There are obviously very cool assets in the world, for sure. But like yeah. when you look at, whether you look at Bridge Line Crossing's presence on Memorial or, you know, the Guardian being the tallest condo in town or, you know, where Notable is, the Montgomery Place building, that the presence that it has in the neighborhood yeah. or Colors and Chocolate, their presence in Victoria Park. Like we have the coolest assets in the city, like bar um, none. You can watch our video. Yeah. <laughs> we have a video. We put together a video of the cool assets that we have, but like, we have a really cool portfolio of like the best residential assets in the city. And like, we are really proud of that. We target that. Like when, you know, one of those iconic buildings comes looking for a bid, like we try really hard to win it. Like we yeah, will yeah. like yeah. break our back to win those bids. Like, cause we want it. those buildings, like even castle, like in Richmond, like if you, when you're exiting on um, Crowchild, there's that uh, the condo building right on the corner of 25th and Crowchild. Yeah. And like, you see it from every angle. Like yeah, we yeah, wanted yeah. that building. And Very so, cool. That, that we've gone for the iconic buildings everywhere in the city. I love it, man. I love it. That's amazing. And that's, that's really cool how proud you are of, of your properties. Right. And, and that, that you're, you're, you know, you're, you could, you could think of, you know, the Taj Mahal or you can name anything, but, but um, you know, you're, you're proud of what you're working on. So that's, I don't mind visiting the Burj Khalifa or the Taj Mahal. Like, sure. But like, yeah. you know, I, I remember walking the empire state building when I was, heavy into like lead and boma and i was looking at the the environmental work they did and i'm like man and nice this building would be such a nightmare <laughs> walking around the empire state i'm like i'm glad this isn't my job but that's yeah. the same thing i look at Chinook. i'm like i'm glad we don't we've never had to manage that yeah, yeah i'm yeah, so yeah. happy because like <laughs> having the public aspect on top of the tenancy and the large-scale commercial like yeah. i don't want that right yeah. and so I like cool buildings for sure. Uh, that's always been a thing. I remember being a little, little kid and looking up my parents' window driving around Toronto downtown, looking up at the high rises. Like I remember how cool that was and like being managing high rise buildings has always been my thing. And I've done it like my whole career, which is awesome. Yeah. But um, yeah, we, we like to focus on cool buildings that we can actually get our hands on right here in the market. And there are a ton, like we like Calgary has just a phenomenal, you know, uh, portfolio of buildings here. Like there really are some really neat stuff here. That's for sure. Yeah, we just took on uh, Eris, which is the uh, high rise over the superstore downtown. And okay. so that's a cool, that's a really cool building because it's got all the really cool hotel type amenities for the condo owners. And then we also have like the N3 building just down the street, which has no parkade, like it was like everyone talked about this building because it was the first building in Calgary being built with no parking, right? So like those, we wanted those assets that everyone knew. University City, I remember there was like a huge fight about building it because nobody in Dalhousie wanted that building, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we like those buildings that kind of everybody knows. Like everyone knows University City. Everyone that. knows Guardian. You know what I mean? That's what we wanted. Very cool. That's awesome. Um, good. And then, and then finally, my last question is, you know, if you could recommend any book to read, um, you know, for, for property managers, again, that are, you know, aspiring to, to get to your level of success, you know, what, 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 what book has been played a pivotal role in your, in your success? You know, I'm going to go to the classics. Like, uh, you know, I read Machiavelli and Sun Tzu and all that stuff, but like, I think the most impact a book has ever had in my life and my parents gave it to me young is how to win friends and influence people like Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Uh, Napoleon Hill is always good, like for sure. Like I said, I will go to the classics. Like there's yeah. lots of good to great and a lot of new, new, new school. Like even like if you go back to seven habits, but like um, when I look at how I've structured my life, a lot of it has to do with, 
you know, uh, Napoleon Hill, Dale Carnegie, for sure. Even when I go back to high school and university to today, those are the founding, those are the kind of founding principles. Very cool. And, the, and those are, I mean, those, those are, those books you can implement in so many different ways, you know, like a, a property manager can be successful. So could, so could, you know, anybody, you know, like you can really, uh, it's for all aspects of your life. Yeah, for sure. Totally. I love it. Well, Hey, Navaz, this was uh, such an awesome conversation. There's so much insight. I, I you can really see why Equium group is so successful, you know, getting a, you know, a kind of a quick insight into, into who you are um, and how you lead your business. Um, you know, you guys, uh, I, there's no question. Is it goal 20% of the market of the Calgary market or is it? Uh, well, I think we can easily achieve 20%. Okay. I don't, know, if the, what, I don't okay. know what the goal is. We'll see. All right. All right. Well, I can't wait to continue watching your journey, see where you guys are going. Um, you guys have something really special that, that certainly I can learn from and hopefully a lot of others can as well. So thanks again. And, uh, and we'll uh, continue to watch your, your journey. Thanks again for having me on. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Okay. Right. Bye-bye. Bye.